This is Coda Radio, episode 519 for May 22nd, 2023. friends, welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, like the podcasting pro he is, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Misa here. Oh, good, good. I thought maybe you two weren't on speaking terms after the whole Jar Jar crashing your car thing. <laughs> no, there was a no-car crash. It was more of the Republic. Oh, yeah, right, right, of course. Yeah, well, Jar Jar put Mike on, because uh, I got a hot and spicy take for him. Jar Jar, a, Jar Jar, stop running for election. You keep winning. It's amazing. I, it's it's unbelievable. Starting at the school board and working his way all the way up from there. Um, So, you know, we've talked a lot about just ridiculous software schemes that these companies come up with on the Coder program over the year. But I think HP has such a dumb idea that it almost makes me want a leaderboard that we could start on the show. So HP came up with this brilliant idea of a subscription service for ink cartridges. Now, so say you, uh, you know, you've been a member for a few months and you realize you're just not printing that much. You got a couple of extra cartridges sitting on your desk there. You still got some full cartridges in the printer. They're just kind of piling up, right? So you think to yourself, I'll, I'll go ahead and cancel the subscription. It's not really working for me. The, uh, author that posted this online on the HP support forum had the subscription for about a year. And in this case, their credit card declined. They didn't intentionally cancel. But, you know, imagine your own scenario. When they attempted to print that day, the printer displayed an unable to print message despite having sufficient ink. It can print a printer report that tells you all the details about the printer, but it is unable to print anything else. The individual discovered a support form thread that explains that canceled or suspended subscriptions restrict ink usage. Even when you put new cartridges in, it won't necessarily print. And HP's terms state that users have the, uh, essentially they're buying the ability to print. They're not buying access to the ink. HP's terms state that, quote, the ability to print a certain number of pages and the ink remains owned by HP. And then, of course, you have to wonder, then, does the device also require constant connectivity to the Internet just so you can print your pages and it can check its subscription status? How amazing is this? Can, I mean, can you, again, I just my first thought on this is always, can you imagine being the engineer that had to write this software? <laughs> yeah, it's basically all to make it a recurring monthly revenue thing to uh, juice that stock price, right? Wild, though, that. It even disables buying new ink and putting that ink cartridge in, right? And crazy that you could have full cartridges of ink, but you can't use them. That seems, it seems like such waste. It, it just, uh, it undercuts any kind of environmental green message that HP tries to put out there. I, I think they don't care, right? This is a pure revenue play to get you to buy ink and most importantly, their ink on a regular schedule that they can predict and put in an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, and you know, they buy enough ads on tech press uh, that the tech press isn't going to say anything, right? So it's no problem, actually. This is a great idea. The more I think about it from a business standpoint, like you got friendly media coverage that doesn't expose this kind of stuff. I mean, maybe they will now as this starts to roll. 
this has clearly been a product that's rolled out there. I mean, this person was subscribed for a year. And I never heard of this. It's just absolutely ludicrous. Ludicrous and HP should do better. You know, when you cancel the subscription, you should at least be able to finish out the cartridge that you have. Just absolutely crazy. David writes into the show, and he read that Prime video case study that we talked about in episode 517, where Amazon essentially dunked on itself, where they clearly outlined how serverless wasn't great for delivering Prime video. And David's trying to figure out, and I think he wants our take, on why Amazon would publish a takedown of their own product, one that so clearly demonstrates a 90% efficiency gain by re-architecting off a serverless. He's got a couple of theories, but I'm curious if you have any theories why Amazon would let that get published. Yeah, I think it's a classic Microsoft thing, right, of different divisions just kind of hate each other. Yeah, that was one of his theories. This is an internal conflict. That Prime team got screwed by the serverless and they had to do serverless because of you know an overall corporate strategy tax perhaps yeah that seems that seems to me to be it what do you think it is well it could be amazon trying to signal to the market that there are use cases that serverless is not ideal because it's not like they were like we're switching to azure right they were just moving over to ec2 and more standard types of architecture and they went with a monolith design like that's But it's still like an Amazon infrastructure. So I think it's kind of their way of saying, I know this is trendy, but maybe don't build everything serverless. Let's consider that some things are better for other types of infrastructure or something like I. Yeah. Server serverless is always a very expensive choice, right? It just seems like there's a way to do that message without taking the knees out of the serverless team, right? Like like leading with that 90% efficiency gain by dumping serverless, that only gets interpreted by the market in one way. I mean, that's what they want, right? Yeah. Uh, Another theory that David had is that perhaps it was a move by Amazon to sort of prevent people getting locked into Azure's brand of serverless or Google Cloud's brand of serverless because it is a proprietary cloud method, right? Whereas a lot of the other more traditional systems, you could lift the containers and move and lift the data and move. So he speculates perhaps it's an attempt to kind of slow the roll on serverless as it seems to be creating cloud vendor lock-in. Makes sense. It is hard to ponder. I think when we look back at it, it's going to be one of the more interesting things of the last few months that just happened and kind of passed by. Uh, if you have any theories, let us know. Coder.show slash contact or send it in as a boost. It is worth pondering. And I think if Amazon's telling you certain workloads aren't great for serverless. It might be worth listening. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account and check out the exciting news. Linode is now part of Akamai. So all the developer-friendly tools that we love, like that cloud manager that's just so beautifully designed, the API that has tons of libraries in your favorite language you can just start using right now or take a look at the nice, easy documentation, and that CLI tool, that I use all the time to take quick snapshots of my rigs for my drop-down terminal. All that stuff that helps you build, deploy, and scale in the cloud, it's all there. But now it's combined with the power of Akamai and their global reach. They're expanding their services to offer more cloud computing resources and tools while providing reliable, affordable, and scalable solutions for users and businesses of all sizes. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, And that's a pretty cool thing to say. Data centers are expanding worldwide. More resources, more access. 
everything you need to grow your business, your hobby, your project, and serve your customers. So why wait? Go check out the power of Linode now Akamai. Go to linode.com slash coder. Get that $100 in 60-day credit and learn how Linode now Akamai can help scale your applications from the cloud all the way to the very edge, even in Florida. Linode.com slash coder. Well, I'm convinced that OpenAI is an evil play to take a ludicrous kill move leap ahead of the market and build the biggest tech moat we have ever seen in the history of the industry. And I think OpenAI is a dangerous company, specifically think their CEO. So OpenAI CEO Sam Altman testified at a Senate hearing on AI oversight on the 16th of May. And he went to Washington and he begged. He begged to be regulated by 80-year-olds who can't use their iPhones. And the message was clear. And I, I'm going to play a clip. I, sh- I cut this down. Uh, this is from, I think it's NBC News. And this is their report of the hearing. Turning now to Capitol Hill, where lawmakers are holding a hearing on artificial intelligence and Congress's role in regulating it. Yeah, one of the nation's leading voices on AI, Sam Altman, is testifying before a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee to help get Washington up to speed on this rapidly evolving technology. CNBC technology correspondent Steve Kovac joins us now from Capitol Hill, where it's all going down, Steve. So the man who's testifying, Sam Altman, he's the CEO of the company that created ChatGPT. What is he telling Congress about the technology? technology's abilities and its reach at this point. Yeah, Vicky. So Altman saying basically we're here so you guys, Congress, can regulate us. Mm. He's basically saying we know this uh, technology can be transformative and scary and we can't understand it. And coming up with his own ideas for what uh, that regulation should look like. Have a listen to what he said. We believe that the benefits of the tools we have deployed so far vastly outweigh the risks. But ensuring their safety is vital to our work. And we make significant efforts to ensure that safety is built into our systems at all levels. The entire thing was disingenuous. Like the power of the tools that they've built already are so beneficial to humanity. What bullcrap. They can't even get the anything right. Like I just had it, I had it summarize an article about the Apple headset. And the thing hallucinated and thinks the headset's been released and it's a huge success. Like they don't, you know, the power of these things is they're, they're infantile. Uh, he went in there and just begged to be regulated. And I think this is the Facebook playbook. Exactly. That Zuckerberg figured out. Mm-hmm. You know, you just, you figure you're big enough, you accept you accept the regulation, and then you get a moat built for you by the U.S. government, and it's paid for by the taxpayer. Yeah, so this is a, a double-edged uh, uh, master stroke here, right? One, he gets to say the moat, like you said, where basically if the regulation's written so that OpenAI benefits from it, uh, your garage startups aren't going to be able to keep up with that. You're, you know, he gets to basically be the uh, the marching band leader, and everybody has to march to his drum. The second thing he gets is should they get in trouble, which they probably will at some point. Well, hang on, I wrote help write right. We were an instrumental part in this great regiment. Right, I I I pled for the regulation. I begged for it. So it 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 comes off as super self serving, and this other one where Mike gets in trouble because he's not happy with the tech press. You know, China's not going to do this. I, I expected more. You know, and I think he went in there really savvy. He didn't use any tech jargon. He agreed with every concern that they raised, every ludicrous concern. Yep. Didn't didn't challenge a thing. Yep. Didn't challenge a single thing 
for an industry he supposedly helped create. And he also even in there acknowledged that, yeah, it's going to move faster than you can regulate with a bit of a smirk. And they, they asked him if he would be interested in being in charge of the regulatory body that gets created. Like they basically offered him the job and he kind of, you know, kind of just shyly says, oh, no, I really like my current job right now. Right. And then he goes on to not just suggest that we need a brand new department in the U.S. government to regulate AI, but that ultimately we need a worldwide regulatory body that regulates and licenses developers. So you must get a license to work with AI and do any development related to AI. He advocated for developer licensing. I know. I, I feel like we're always going there. And the funny thing is, you know, this is all state bound stuff, right? Like government bound stuff. We're just going to end up in a case where all the governments don't agree and they're going to have secret AI labs that they run themselves that break all the rules anyway. I mean, have you heard of China? Yeah. And I think all that will be successfully created is commercial barriers that prevent open source projects from being commercialized and going mainstream and mainstream services and, and software companies and, you know, SaaS companies and enterprises will only use commercial, protected, licensed, copyright approved models and systems. So we'll essentially just open up with a world of paid APIs if you want access. And he'll just just build it right in there. He also agreed that we should have nutrition labels and scorecards for AI. He said it's a great idea. Doesn't really know how it'd be implemented, but loved the idea. But I think instead of playing clips from the hearing, I could just play you a couple of moments from the area just outside the hearing. Sam steps out and he lingered for 20, 30 minutes. I'll put a link to the entire, all the videos in the show notes. And he makes sure to just nail all of the key messages that he wants the reporters to take away. And I'll just give you a little sense of some of that. I want to go to D.C. and show you uh, Sam Altman. He's the creator, of course, of ChatGPT, leaving that hearing uh, down in D.C. Let's watch. Sam, look, a lot of the things that were going on in there was talking about this idea of like, look, we forgot we couldn't do social media regulation. Are you do you think this is going to happen? Do you think they're going to? So that's the reporter. And this came up in the hearing. Sam made the equivalency of social media. He's like, yeah, you guys were too late to the game to properly regulate social media. And now misinformation is totally out of control. We don't want that to ho happen to AI. You have to regulate us. That was one of his messages. We're going to do regulation on AI. And if they don't, how do you self-regulate? Yeah, I, I hope that they will. Um, if they, but if they, they don't. They seem sincere. And if they don't, then the industry does what we think we should do anyway. We can't control what every player does. Uh, we've said a lot about the things that we want to do, that we hope other people will do. Um, and I think... On the positive side, the industry does take the, the gravity of this very seriously, but I still think we'd be all better served by the government. How fast does Congress have to move on this to keep up? Uh, I think it's more important to get it right than to move super fast. Uh, although, you know, you, I don't want it to, if it takes a decade, that would be, that would be a bad thing. Of course, he loves the idea of it taking a little while. He knows how fast this is moving and he'll just have the U.S. government slowly build them a moat while they roll out their product over there. I mean, you can hear it in his voice. You can hear the planning. You, you can. And it's also, you know, he's being lauded as this, this very responsible. You know, I, I feel like we're getting from these uh, tech media folks, who I guess we kind of count as, that there's some new enlightened brand of tech founder. Don't you feel this? It, it's like they're falling for the SBF scam 
in a totally all over again. Yeah, just in a different industry. Not just different industry. It's okay. So now put down the hoodie. Don't be such a jerk and play like Fortnite during your meeting. But you know, talk about make your thoughtful triangle. Talk about safety, responsibility, misinformation. Make sure you have some concerns. Right, you're always concerned. But the good of these tools makes it all so worth it. And yes, you're right to be scared. I helped create this and I'm scared. It works too. You know, they, they gobble it up. They gobble it up. And so does all the, uh, all the media. And honestly, a lot of people that are listening probably think we're crazy because they gobble it up too. I feel like this flipped super fast. And I think you have to remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about that Google memo where the employee, the engineer says, we have no moat and open AI has no moat. Now, a moat obviously meaning some kind of way to capture people and keep them. Like Apple's ecosystem of the watch, the AirPods, iCloud, Apple TV, the way it all integrates, that's their moat. iMessage, right? That's part of their moat. Open AI and Google don't really have anything like that. And so if OpenAI can get ahead of all these guys because that's that's what they've done since they launched ChatGPT. They have been savvy at the marketing, have it do the bar test and all this kind of stuff and super careful about communicating safety being a key priority. Number one priority is safety while creating these savvy deals with Microsoft to take something that was supposed to be open source nonprofit and now make it closed source six years later. It's obvious what they're trying to do here. And it's a hugely ambitious plan. It's not just they want to create a moat in the U.S. Again, I'm going to play. This is from the end of the hearing when he's out there answering press questions from every press outlet from around the world. I think it's really important to try to figure out. I, I didn't mean to say impractical. If I did, I misspoke. I meant to say that it's difficult. And, that it's and he's speaking about a world regulatory body. That it sounds like a sort of naive thing. We've done it for other industries. I mean, it ha- the IAEA did it. Uh, and I think this is a technology that we should treat with that level of seriousness. So although difficult, uh, I think it's important to try to start the conversation on it. There's a lot of red flags here. And I think it starts with their pivot from an open source nonprofit organization to a closed source for profit, make deals with Microsoft, and now try to front run the entire industry and delegitimize anybody that's not a licensed AI developer that's using commercially safe, brand safe AI. This idea of safety and licensing is on the one hand one of the oldest ideas we've had but it keeps getting you know microwaved in a way it's it's not gonna work and it's funny because the people who talk about this are the same people who are always like we need diversity and opportunity well licensing is literally elitism 100 percent. right that that's the whole point of, and I got to tell you, like, as a guy with over you know, a decade of professional experience, almost 15 years now, I would love some sort of licensing, assuming I could be grandfathered in and to keep new people out in terms of a cold capitalist way, right? Cold business way. But from a moral standpoint, thinking about the 19 year old I was when I opened my business, if there was a licensing scheme, I simply would have just had to go work at Starbucks. Like that's that's it. I mean, it's it's yeah. I don't know, and and, and yeah, there's risk, right? Irresponsible actors, blah blah blah. But which is scarier? Not letting the next you know young Thomas Edison or young Nikola Tesla take a shot, 
Well, I mean, there's risk to having open highways. I mean, that lets there's there's risk to having an open TCP/IP network. There's risk to letting people use cash. Although that's a whole conversation, right? How hard it is to actually deal in cash and the weird looks you get now. Yeah. But my my point is is all of a sudden we've we've kind of just taken a hit the brakes by default approach as if hitting the brakes here in the states stops all of the development everywhere else in the world. It is a 80-year-old view of how the world works, right? It's it's and I don't mean to be ageist about it. I'm just looking at the evidence and I'm looking at the average age of the people that are involved in these decisions and I'm coming to the conclusion that they seem to think that inhibiting the development and thus the innovation and economic perhaps advantages to fostering this technology if they just hit the brakes here they can stop it that's ludicrous and hostile nations will continue to develop it at an absolutely breakneck pace in the show notes and I don't know if I'm going to actually put the energy into it Mike is my witness. I have six, at least 16 links to mainstream media outlets that are all in full panic mode about the dangers because, because Sam, as the CEO, begged for regulation, the media has gone in overdrive. And I'm talking from Wired to the BBC to The Guardian to AP News to CNN to The New York Times to The Seattle Times. It's just all of them it's it's the the message is out there and then i'll also have some additional reading because you know to reflect this morning as we're recording some news has gone around that an ai generated image of a bomb exploding near the pentagon caused you know some stock to drop about 500 million dollars i don't know if that's been confirmed but there is obviously some serious risk. You know, we, in the Coderly, we tell, a, we, we tell about a cautionary tale that uh, impacted Mike's family directly in the Coderly member version. That's also out now. So it's, I, I acknowledge there is risk, but I also think there's, there's risk to having telephones and cell phones and all of it. So there is some advantage to it. I mean, these, this tooling seems very, very basic still. It's, gen- it's a language model. It's not generating anything on its own. It's not actually self-aware. It's a language model that has a limited data set at that. And we're just like going into full panic mode. We've really watched this go from, I mean, it makes the freak out over Elon seem quaint. <laughs> you know, <laughs> reflecting back. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's interesting. And I think when the... You know, when you are you and I are true old men and the history of kind of our era of tech is written, it's going to be basically I think we have at least five to ten years of overreaction coming. Um, and you can basically lay that at Mark Zuckerberg's feet, right? Because Facebook became Facebook. Yeah, and they didn't fight the narrative that Facebook swung the election, which if you just look at the numbers, Facebook did not swing anything. No, they, and, and I think maybe the reason why they couldn't come out and say our advertising wasn't that effective, it didn't really affect the election, is because you don't want to say your advertising platform is ineffective, right? But if you just look at the, the numbers spent, it's something like people that are tied to Russia and paid with Russian currency or are known to be known Russian, Russian na- nationals, uh, according to the Mueller report, is like it was like somewhere between $300,000 and $400,000 uh, that was spent on social media advertising. 
Uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign spent somewhere around six million, and the Trump campaign spent somewhere around four million. You, if you just look at if you look at the results, it's just silly. But of course, they can't come out and say that. So instead, they had to roll over and say, "Yes, please regulate us." And they created the new playbook, just like you know, Elon's created a certain efficiency playbook. We were watching some clips on the pre-show. I I hang out with the live stream before the show starts, and we were watching some CNBC clips. And uh, they have just created a a little term for it. They call it the uh, uh, optimization trend that we're seeing in Silicon Valley, which is the Elon move of like firing a whole bunch of people, which is just now been euphemized into into like like did you see the thing at Google where they're uh, not giving tape or staples at copy stations anymore? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, they're still doing free food and all of that, though. Like, I don't know. It's just yeah, but they're cutting back. I mean, this is it's going to be. Uh, we're we're entering a phase of tech businesses are going to be like all other businesses, and it seems painful. And it's you know a lot of it's kind of taking advantage, but the, you know the the re, the benefits and the the I, benefits is the wrong word, but the perks were a little silly, right? Still, the best lunch I've ever had is in Google Chelsea. And I had a great, great burrito at Dell's Cafeteria. You know, what you just said, though, I think gives some logic to Sam Altman's motivation. If our assessment is right and that he is moving, he's taking the kill shot in year one, right? Instead of like fighting it out for a decade and then finally getting to a point to like buy off some politicians and take the kill shot and build a moat, they're doing it while everybody else is still on at the starting line. It's an incredible move. And I think you're right. We're seeing a transition that tech companies are becoming just regular companies. And the U.S. government is entering a phase where it's going to be extremely active in this sector. And so Sam is just leaning into the changing direction of the wind. Yeah, I think he's smart, right? This is, I don't, you know, yeah, it, there's no way that you could pull a Zuckerberg and be like, my hero is Augustus Caesar and I'm going to rule everything. And I feel awesome about myself these days. Even Zuckerberg has had to take a more thoughtful triangle, you know, sort of way. Yeah. A new style. I, I mean, I, so I love Scott Galloway, right? But his original like thing, the first thing I ever saw of him was him bare chested with a kilt, right? Super hardcore. Now the man has become super thoughtful. This is just the new uh, the new way, right? We're not hackers and hook hoodies. And I know he was a business professor, business guy, but we're not, you know, we're not, this isn't Michael Lewis's liars poker anymore. If you want to do the business version, we now have to, uh, please, um, the aunties, to be honest with you. Tailscale.com slash coder. That's where you go to try out a free personal account for up to one hundred devices and unlimited subnets now it's also a great way to support the show why you are checking out a simple secure mesh network built on top of wireguard the best vpn tech out there tailscale takes just minutes to get set up regardless of the device you're working on a headless linux system your iphone your android device your desktop computer whatever it might be tailscale makes it easy to connect your devices directly to each other using WireGuard's noise protocol encryption. Builds you a flat mesh VPN, and all your machines get essentially static IPs on this network. You can use DNS on this network, and only the traffic for your TailScale network, the TailNet as they call it, is sent 
over that VPN. So you're going to Google.com or DuckDuckGo or maybe you're doing the Bing thing. I don't know what you do. That traffic doesn't go to Tailscale. It doesn't need to. That routes out to the Internet. So that means you can leave Tailscale running all the time because it's not just sending all your traffic into that VPN. Just the traffic you intend to go there, encrypted, private, on a beautiful flat mesh network. I put it on my VMs. I put it on my VPSs. I put it on my mobile devices. I put it on my machines that I self-host here. I put it on my kids' computers. I mean, I put it on my mom's computer. I put it on everything. My wife has tail scale. Everybody. Because it really creates this network where we can communicate to each other on our own private network. And Tailscale has a bunch of tools that make it easy for developers to get their projects up and going on a tailnet, integrate with different services and applications, make things available for testers. It's, um, well, it's a game changer. You're just going to have to go try it because you know, it'll take a month or two and you'll go, oh, this is pretty great. And the next couple of months, it'll start just revolutionizing the way you work. It's never going back. This is a game changer. Try it out and get it up to 100 devices for free when you go to tailscale.com slash coder. That's tailscale.com slash coder. Well, there seems to be a series of LLC shell companies that may be linked to Apple, not you, and they are filing as of recently as the beginning of May for Reality Pro OS in different countries. This makes me so sad. The trademark also for Real OS was registered and also uh, Reality Pro OS. A couple of different LLCs here, depending on the country. But it appears that Apple is trademarking names that will likely be related, including XR Pro OS and uh, others. This is a lot of smoke, Mike. Do you want to, uh, do you want to, uh, I think we had a bet on this. Do you want to back out now? <laughs> I, I'm not, a, I'm not a Welsh. Uh, I'm not going to Welsh on this one. God damn it. I insulted Australia last week and I'm going for Welsh. <sighs> Wales. Yeah, they, they had it coming, though. They had it coming. You know, the, be the beer, is being, the Outback is from Florida. I'm just saying it. Okay, guys? <laughs> so here's what we know. Here's what we know. Uh, according to 9to5Mac, it's going to be $3,000, and it's going to be announced at WWDC, but it won't be released at WWDC. Gaming is expected to be a major focus for the Reality Pro. Apple, famously good at dealing with game companies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they do have that sneaky Sasquatch after all. Kids love it. And then they're reportedly working on some new camera system for it. And uh, they're going to offer developers a comprehensive set of tools and APIs to create immersive AR applications and experiences. So this thing's coming, isn't it? They're going to launch a $3,000 product right before a recession. We could fight about before. Before I, I think I have some ground there, but... Oh, the, the advertising industry has completely collapsed. You remember how we were getting all of these emails about like, you know, shucking their like product on us or uh, wanting to bring somebody on and paying us to do an interview? Like that's dried up. <laughs> my, my favorite was the like pills, uh, the uh, male enhancement, whatever crap. Oh, man. And we also got like the we were getting just in the last few months, we were getting like different offers to do like different CBDC stuff. Dude, we got one today for uh, we'll pay you to put a guy on the show. Yeah, there's still some coming in, but not at, not at the level. It's no, it's also did did you not see the leak from Apple that not only is this product controversial within Apple, 
but to the point where again this is a leak it i read it on mac rumors let's all you know not blame mike for things that he hasn't done yet uh but old school apple engineers are critic allegedly criticizing it as like well below the quality bar and way compromised well, that's yeah, yeah. I've seen that. I've seen go, what going around is like that's been the debate that's caused the delay to the point where they are urging Tim not to release it. But Tim is an accountant at heart. He's releasing it. He spent money. I mean, the only way this thing—I mean, I just wow. Oh my I God. I don't oh believe God. in the AR thing. I liked. I tr- I really tried. Right. I was really thinking, and we talked about it on the air that we could do cool events in the MetaQuest, but. It's just not, there's too many holes in it and it costs. Okay, but what about AR? So what about overlaying additional screens on your existing workplace? And what about having the entire computer in the headset? For the consumer for $3,000? Yes, but you're buying this instead of an iPad Pro. You're buying this instead of a MacBook. I think an iPad Pro is a pretty good buy. Right, but this gives you iPad Pro apps that you can overlay over reality plus all the new apis and stuff they're going to introduce i mean think to me the thing to make it work is you'd have to have an absolutely killer low light system which they've gotten good at but it's takes it's slow and you'd you'd really need to solve for connectivity and handle that handoff better than i've ever seen them handle handoff because i don't i just don't buy it you're gonna need access to data yeah i don't either i i just I know because you know what you know what i can do with a thousand or twelve hundred dollar macbook air run a business Go to college. If this was an iPad Pro with some of the Apple limitations taken off, right? Because it's reality OS. So perhaps it could be a little bit different. I'll tell you where it makes a little bit of sense is for a guy like me who lives in a tiny house, I don't even have a computer set up at home. Uh, I have a laptop that I bring with me everywhere, but I like having a set up workspace. And if I could pop this on and sit down in a chair and have my whole workspace there, that could be a game changer for me. And, you know, we know that they would do the optics well. We know the screens would look good. And if it has speakers, you know, the speakers are going to sound well. And the microphones will probably be done pretty well. There'll probably be multiple microphones on this thing. So they'll check a lot of those boxes. You have to strap a battery pack to your side like a... Well, that's, yeah, that's the question. To Yeah. There's a lot wrong here, right? I, yeah, I just don't buy it. I just don't... Uh... The best days. I don't. I mean, will it come out? Sure. Will it succeed? I don't know. Oh, I don't know if that was the bet, though. <laughs> it's not the bet. I said it wouldn't come out, right? So I'm losing. Yeah, yeah I get it. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. It shouldn't come out. I don't disagree with you there. I think it will, though. I, th- I think you you've got the bet because Tim Cook. Well, and sales are down. Yeah, everything's down. Maybe they'll do a subscription program for the headset out of the gate. You know, like they do for the iPhone. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. There's been rumors that they were on the precipice of launching a new iPhone subscription plan and it just didn't ever materialize. Perhaps what they're really working on is a subscription plan for this. I mean, we won't know. I bet you they won't even give us those details. I bet you we don't even get price. Maybe we get price. Maybe. You have to give price because developers, remember development shops are going to have to buy like two or three of these. Yeah, but they're probably going to get like some dev kit version, right? That uses... Well, yeah. yeah, it's going to be a Mac mini that you have to like put on your, it's like the army. It's like your back, you know, the pack you wear on your back. You're, yes. You know? Yes. Now I will say the fact that I am poo-pooing this and I'm a lazy old guy. If it actually turns into something and you're a young kid who can afford to file bankruptcy at some point um, and doesn't have like, you know, children, ex-wives, things like that. 
this is a this is like the iPhone was for me, a great opportunity. Take your shot. Yeah, potentially. If Apple sticks with it, you know, if they don't HomePod this thing. And if they don't focus on games, because that's stupid, because they're Apple, that's not going to They're going to focus on... Unless they come out and say, we've made a partnership with Unity to, like, out of the box, use Unity's AR tools. Which seems weird, because Apple's all about Swift, right, and their own platform. Man, if I were them, I would focus in hard on the productivity. Because it's your it's your rich office worker, you know, like higher end office worker job that can afford to do experiment with these kinds of things. It's your rich tech companies that would be willing to buy a couple of these things. Go in hard on the this replaces a computer. You take your state with you everywhere you go. And then it's much more, too. It's also your best movie theater. It's the best gaming device. It's also a first gen product from Apple. Keep that in mind when you spend your three thousand dollars. Although apparently it's been in the cooker for quite a while, so that might not be good news. <laughs> Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. Mere Mortals podcast comes in. I was listening to that on my drive in with a row of ducks. Says I'm not sure if I've ever seen a Foster's at a bar or anything like that. I was asking last week, maybe in a bottle store, but even then it would be just as a gimmick. I'm struggling to remember if I've ever even tasted one. We have plenty of other house beer, though. <laughs> yeah, well, we all do. You know, the Foster's, it's, it's, like a, it's like a step up from, like, your Bush Light and your Miller. You know, it's like it's a step up, but it's not. It's not. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, you've gone to the Outback. You've had a few other beers, and now you're talking like this, mate. Yeah, and they've got a frosty. They got a frosty glass for you. Yeah, they give you the fancy glass. Or if you get it in a can, it comes in an oil can. Yeah, that big stupid can. I got a lot of feedback on my apparent anti-Australian sentiment. I just want to remind folks. Outback is not Australian. They're from Florida. Again. I thought you were going to just say they're the worst. I mean, present company excluded. Mere <sighs> no, no, no. The Aussies are fine. <laughs> uh, it's just, okay. you know, I don't know. The fact that we're even talking about Foster's is a little depressing. What's next? Natty Ice? I mean. <laughs> well, it could be worse. It could be a lot worse. The Golden Dragon comes in with another row of ducks. The episode's so nice, I listened twice. I loved all the bacon on this episode, I have to say. It stinks that the Dev 1 went south after a couple of years, especially since they stopped selling them. Oh, I want to know the story there so bad. Brent's having some hinge issues on his. Mine continues to be fine, but it's not my main machine, so that might be why it has survived a little bit longer. How's is, You no longer have a Dev 1, right? Yeah, it's, it's all gone. Yeah, I, I, I uh, gave it away. Oof. Yeah, okay. I understand. Uh, let's see here. We got another boost from Smart Growth, 5,000 sats. Pew, pew, pew. Media Matters is, quote, buying it for the amount of equity they owed from a previous investment. Oh, I think that's a follow-up to a comment I made uh, about uh, Fox. Average Joe comes in with 10,000 sats. Coming in hot with the boost. <laughs> that might be our baller boost this week. Uh, love the show. Guys, I have a question. Mac versus Linux for developers. That's pretty general. He didn't say what type of developer. But on average, hmm, I guess it depends what system you're the most comfortable with, right? Yeah, it depends what you're comfortable with. I mean, there's a there's a little bit of weirdness on Mac uh, because of the whole ARM thing. But that's even becoming less of a problem as there's more ARM Linux servers. Uh, I would say the challenge with Linux laptops is you got to get the hardware right. You got to do your research. And it's going to be what's important to you, right? A, a thing that I'm super into 
is good speakers on my on like just like the onboard speakers because I often want to listen to podcasts or um, a little bit of music or something or a video that you just want you want it to be able to be understandable and sound good. Yeah, while I'm working, and now it's 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 tough to really evaluate uh, a lot of the Linux laptops out, out there. That's why we do reviews, though. Yeah, and System76 has a new crop of laptops out there. And I think, you know, the nice thing there is they've got support. And if you're trying to get a job done, it's nice to have that support to fall back on. Split comes in with 5,000 sats. B-O-O-S-T. Please, Mike, tell us more about your hate for Azure. Uh, He says, I'm the only primary Linux user in a Microsoft shop. Do you have any particular Azure hates, or is it just the whole, like, bait and switch with the credits that they entice developers with and then swap it over to the big bill? The problem is Azure's a lot of products, right? I will say that Azure has a lot of legacy behind it that can be annoying at times when I just want to do yes. something that I'm, let, let's say, Linode or, you know, other hosts. Oh, yeah, there's way more layers of vernacular on Azure than, say, like, Linode. Huge difference. It it adds a layer of nonsense, I would say. With that said, <laughs> yes, yes, it also offers things right. If you're integrating with a truly Microsoft Active Directory run shops, it makes it makes does make that somewhat easier. I so it's yeah. This is one of those. It depends. If I just want to run a Linux server with Docker and do something simple like attach storage, a Linode or, you know, other kind of VPS host is a lot easier to deal with than Azure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my take too. It's good, especially with integrating with some of the existing Microsoft products. And if you're in that space already, but otherwise it's a lot of nonsense to deal with. I'll round us out with a couple of lower than 2000 sat boosts, but I thought we had a low boost week. So I'd cover a couple of these. Violet Hummingbird came in with a thousand sats saying value for value instead of ads. Thank you. We are hoping that more members sign up and more folks uh, decide to boost. Jan Hubaloo comes in with a thousand sats. When Mike was talking about Q last week, I thought at first he was talking about Bond's Q. <laughs> you know, James Bond's Q. Uh, first time for me for boosting in from Andrew. Honestly, the best Q. Yeah, really. I uh, I mean, I like Q in Star Trek, but... Remember 007, you have a license to kill, not to break the traffic laws. <laughs> yeah. So we got a total of 26,444 sats. Seven boosters. Uh, That's pretty low week for us. So uh, if you have been considering supporting the show and you're looking for a little inspiration, a little kick, that might be it. Help step it up, especially as we're entering into an ad apocalypse. Also, the membership continues to be a fantastic way. I, I was commenting yesterday that the members let us say no to all these ridiculous pitches that come in during the boom times. And then the members may be very well what keep the show going during the downtimes. And so we don't know how long those times will be, but having the members over there is a big deal. CoderQA.co if you want to sign up just for this show or Jupiter.party if you want to support all the shows. Either way, you get an ad-free feed. And we just recently released a new Coderly for our members. If you have the ad-free feed, you'll just get it automatically in that feed. If you're still listening to the public feed, you can just go to your member download area, like over at CoderQA or Jupiter.party and log in. And go to the downloads area, and I made it available for you. And I thought it was a great coderly. I really enjoyed that. Could be a template for future coderlies as well. So check it out if you're a member. I thought I think it's definitely worth a listen. And it was just published recently. Mike, is there anywhere that you would like to send the good people of the Coder Radio audience before we get out of here? 
Go check out alice.dev if you want some automation goodness and go buy some ads on JB Shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Business? Yes. Uh, and of course, you can uh, join our chat room during the week and then you'll see when we're live. You'll see the room start going and I usually let the room in there know. Uh, that's at coder.show slash matrix. Our feedback link is coder.show slash contact. And of course, that's also where you'll find the RSS feeds. And if there's an episode you, you enjoyed particularly, consider sending it to a friend. It's a free way to support the show and word of mouth is the best advertising for podcasts out there. So if you liked an episode, share it around. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. We'd love to see you live next week at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern at jblive.tv. 